Today is Friday, September 15th. The title for our devotional is The Obvious Conclusion. This week, we've been talking about the moral law as an essential component of the irresistible gospel. To conclude this week, we come to the second obvious conclusion that follows the conclusion that there is a moral law, and that is simply that we don't follow it. Again, you may be asking, this doesn't sound irresistible, but hang with me, (laughs) hang with me. What is irresistible must also be true. Romans 3, 10 to 18 says, As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways. In the way of peace, they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. To continue what we started yesterday in Romans 7, Paul is here writing uh, in the first person, including himself, but he's referencing really all of sinful humanity. Romans 7, 22-23, For in my inner being I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. If we are honest with ourselves, even for a moment, we know that these words of Paul are true, not just generally, but true for me. Not only do we not obey the law, but we are masters at deceiving ourselves into either believing that we do obey the law, or that we do most of the time, or that we do more than the other guy, so somehow that absolves us of our consequences. Of course, these are all irrelevant, but in our self-deception they feel meaningful. Jeremiah 17.9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? We so often generalize our sin instead of dealing with it honestly. When we generalize it, it's way easier for our mind to excuse it and deceive ourselves into thinking that we're actually good people. I often hear people say stuff like, I mean, I'm not perfect, but what follows is always an excuse or a reason why the person considers themselves to be a good person. When I hear that, I always want to ask the person to pause and to tease out what they said first, the I'm not perfect part. What do you mean by that? Don't just generalize it and move to excuses or rationalizations. That only deepens the self-deception. I recently read in John Ortberg's Soul Keeping of an interesting study that sought to examine the effects of self-deception. In this study, a group of women were each given an expensive pair of Chloe. I don't know what that means, what that brand is, but I'm sure they're super nice. Uh, Sunglasses. One group, selected at random, was told that the sunglasses were a fake. Those told that the glasses were a fake were more than twice as likely to cheat and steal than the women who believe that they were real. So when we deceive ourselves into thinking that we are good people, knowing deep down that we really aren't, we leave ourselves in the condition of our souls more prone to sin and evil and greater self-deception. He later references another study that demonstrated how humans are driven by two primary motivations. One, we want to receive selfish gain and avoid pain, similarly in that motivation. We want it so badly that we are willing to lie or cheat or deceive, that is sin, in order to get it. And the second motivation is that we want to think of ourselves as good people. (laughs) So to marry these two seemingly inconsistent motivations, we simply lie to ourselves. And we're quite good at it. The antidote then is in genuine confession, repentance, and self-examination. We'll get more to the antidote next week in this beautiful story of the gospel. So, this is kind of a bummer to leave us on for this week. (laughs) I know that. 
But again, the irresistible nature of the gospel is found not always in the comfort that it brings, but in the truth that it illumines. We must first shed light on the truth of our nature and the world before the gospel steps in with comfort. I want to end this week with a couple of more quotes from C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity. He says, Christianity simply does not make sense until you have faced the sort of facts that I have been describing. Christianity tells people to repent and promises them forgiveness. It therefore has nothing, as far as I know, to say to people who do not know they have done anything to repent of, and who do not feel that they need any forgiveness. It is after you have realized that there is a real moral law and a power behind the law, and that you have broken that law and put yourself wrong with that power. It is after all this, and not a moment sooner, that Christianity begins to talk. Later, he says, All I am doing is to ask people to face the facts, to understand the questions which Christianity claims to answer, and they are very terrifying facts. I wish it was possible to say something more agreeable, but I must say what I think true. Of course, I quite agree that the Christian religion is, in the long run, a thing of unspeakable comfort. But it does not begin in comfort. It begins in the dismay I have been describing. And it is no use at all trying to go on to that comfort without going through that dismay. In religion, as in war and everything else, comfort is the one thing you cannot get by looking for it. If you look for truth, you may find comfort in the end. If you look for comfort, you will not get either comfort or truth. Only soft soap and wishful thinking to begin with, and in the end, despair. End quote. We live in a culture that has largely abandoned pursuit of genuine truth in search of comfort. The end of this pursuit, as Lewis says, and I think he's absolutely right, is despair. Our culture is learning this, but it takes a long time to learn a lesson like this. Jesus describes this as a lost soul. The irresistible nature of the gospel is first found in the truth that it illumines, the truth that we all intrinsically know to be true, but we deceive ourselves to denying it. The uncomfortable truth of the moral law and how our failure to live up to it puts us at odds with the God who created it. It does us no good to deny it. Reality is pesky and difficult to avoid. Avoidance only leads to more and more bondage. In the truth, however, we find freedom. What then is to be done about our violation of the moral law? This is the question that we will address next week. And this, I promise, is where the story gets really good. Reflection time today. Don't don't run from this uncomfortable truth. Don't seek only pleasure and avoidance of pain and the painful truths. You will find no comfort in that pursuit. Instead, pursue truth. Plunge into the depths of your depravity and allow the light of Christ, the truth of the gospel, to shine into it. Confess. Repent. In this, you will find great comfort, and you will take the first step towards the truth of Christ, setting you free.